I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, this is one of those conversations that I've been so fucking jacked up You've for. been talking about it. I've been talking about it. And, I, and I've been talking about it to like everybody. Like not even just you guys. Like everybody I see on the street, I'm like, you're not going to believe what yeah, kind of conversation. randomly at strangers. Random, <laughs> random strangers. It's fucking great. Um, we are sitting down with Maria Santaguida, who is a PhD candidate and lecturer at the uh, Department of Psychology at Concordia University here in uh, Canada in Montreal. Um, she specializes in human sexuality, sexual technology. That's really fun. And, uh, and also substance related sexual risk behaviors. But the reason we've got Maria hanging out with us today is because, uh, her work also explores space sexology, the idea of sex in space. And this is something that we talked about on a feel good Friday episode recently probably about a month ago uh we were talking about a a study that was being done about sex in space and and how viable is sex in space and can humans procreate in space and what Mm. happens when you try to fuck in space i mean all these questions that have been burning on my mind What happens to the sperm yeah yeah what what happens to the sperm and so uh maria actually has been uh devoting some work to study those exact questions maria thank you so much for being on the podcast today i have so many fucking questions Uh, but before we get into it how how on earth do you end up where you are right now in terms of talking about sex in space on a podcast like this in a professional capacity (laughs) that's right you know you just kind of stumble upon things in roundabout ways uh (laughs) and you know it's such a pleasure to be here to talk about this I've also been very pumped to be here uh so thank you for inviting me uh but my journey into space sexology all began with a side research project on erotic technology so several years ago when I was starting my PhD my close friend and fellow PhD candidate, Simon Dubay, approached me to see if I would be interested in embarking on this very interesting side research project. And at the time, um, he had said to me, Maria, there's so much happening with the emergence of these new technologies that are enabling more immersive interactive and connected erotic experiences. There's virtual augmented and mixed reality. There is these high tech or smart sex toys used for long distance or remote sex between multiple individuals. There's obviously dating apps and platforms, and there's even artificial erotic agents like sex robots. And there's not a whole lot of research out there on these topics, in particular sex robots. Um, So he said, you know, we should really explore how these technologies are influencing the development and the future development of our sexuality and intimacy. And he really didn't need to say all that much more. I'll be completely honest. (laughs) I was like, I'm on board. I'm on board. Let's go. Let's do this. So we started reading a whole lot. Uh, We read books like Love and Sex with Robots by Daniel uh, Levy, um, Robot Sex by by John Donaher and Neil MacArthur, and articles on uh, sexual technologies and technology-based sexualities. And we had so many questions just naturally right so 
One big question we were interested in answering was why would people want to have sex and intimate relationships with machines and particular sex robots? Um, so what would be people's main reasons for wanting to engage with them and the factors that influence their willingness to engage with these machines? So mm. we launched a study that investigated that. And we ended up finding out that although most people um, who would like to engage with or purchase sex robots are primarily just thinking, you know, a sex robot just seems like a great way to get off. (laughs) (laughs) A little more interactive, a little more, yeah, a little more like in-depth and and realistic, you know, if you're, if if you're engaging in self-pleasure, it's like, why not, why not add a little bit more sort of uh, three dimension to it, you know? Right. Uh, and um, a lot of people would agree with you. <laughs> uh, well, that 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 uh, makes me ask this question because I've I've kind of been dying to to know when when you bring up this topic, I I'm like, whoa, there's like that's so fascinating. Number one, I I love virtual reality. Jared and I got vir- VR headsets. Uh, VR porn is awesome, year, and it's uh it's it's really fascinating. And then would the you agree, with, Brian? That VR porn is awesome. It's it's very immersive. I feel like you just told, yeah. I told, I put poorly put that out there, and you uh, you well, just Brian's didn't want to. Brian's not a porn guy. Oh, uh, wow, wow. I, I I did demo it when you brought it to the the office, and you were like, <laughs> guys, check out how immersive this. I mean, is. for not being a porn guy, and it's pretty cool. It's pretty immersive. <laughs> I and, have to join your workplace. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the three of us, which uh, allows us to do these types of experiments. Yeah, we don't we, we don't have a HR here in the office. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but the the question I I, I want to know is like I imagine that this topic is of interest to a lot of people, but I I also imagine that a lot of the content that sort of exists is more like sci-fi, sort of utopian or dystopian um, science fiction that is not really obviously studying these areas. So like in your in like sort of going down this road, um, were you able to like find any other research that had done, or is this really like, are you really at the cutting edge of like actually approaching this sort of area from a really professional, um, research based perspective? Yeah, there's not a whole lot out there. Um, and, and there's been a lot of studies in terms of collecting, um, you know, people's interest in engaging with these machines. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty scarce out there. So I'd say that any research in this domain is cutting edge. Uh, and it's going to, I think it will pick up uh, as time goes on and as these technologies um, advance in their sophistication and availability. Um, because at this point, I think a lot of people have never seen a real sex robot in their life. They have mm-hmm. lots of like preconceived notions based off of, yeah, like sci-fi and this kind of media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're just so expensive right now. Um, and what you're paying for is not... Um, to the level of sophistication that some people envision right now Mm. sex robots are just uh you know very they're like robotic heads on sex dolls right so they Mm. can have some facial movements they do have some degree of ai um but it's not where people would maybe want it to be or expect Mm. it to be right can i ask Um, you um can i ask you about the like the history of 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 like sexual technology in the way the, in the way that like, I, I feel like there's a lot of things when we think about, when we think about anything that has this futuristic, um, uh, understanding to it or uh vibe to it is like that, that if you trace it back to its origins, it, it kind of begins with something that we wouldn't even really think of like, in, well, we wouldn't think now as being innovative because it's, you know, it's old or it happened years or decades ago. Like, what are the, what's kind of the history? Like where, what are the beginnings of, of like sex technology, sexual technology? Okay. Well, you oh, know wow. what? Just, it, that is a big question because it just depends on what you consider technology because yeah. you can go back to like cavemen and, you know, like they, they, they have technology. Right. And, you know, there's like, you can go way, 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 way back uh, and pull up like these, these old, uh, you know, uh, archaeological dildos, you Mm, know, mm -hmm. and so and that would be considered like one of the first pieces of sex, sexual technology, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They're like, we don't know what they used it for. Maybe they used it to hunt and and hit things over the head, or maybe they used it to gratify themselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so it could go way back. But you know, the, you know, 
the use of a personal massager uh, goes goes a little way back. Uh, I can't think of the exact dates now, but you know, people have been very innovative in their use of regular household items. Yeah, so. the Hitachi. Right. I mean, the Hitachi probably <laughs> goes back to like is... the, like the wand is like probably 1970s, and, mm-hmm. you know, and that was like meant for a back massager. But everyone was like, "This is way better on my clit. Like, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna use this to get myself off." And now. Hitachi tried to like, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure they tried to distance themselves from that idea. They were like, yes. no, it's a back massager. And they're like, no, this <laughs> is a fucking dildo. Like, this is a vibrator, my friend. And they kind of had to give in. And now, you know, now the wand, I mean, there's there's thousands of iterations of, of, of wands that have become, you know, one of the most like popular uh like toy products toys that yeah that well, exist yeah. one thing i i think of immediately when i think of like vr and future sex technologies like sex robots I, I i wonder i'm like i i sort of like um panic in the sense that i wonder like is this going to be like a net positive for society or could this be like super fucking detrimental to people in the sense like when you think of future technologies it's often easy to sort of think of them in that either utopian or dystopian Very, category yeah. and mm-hmm. so um I I wonder um, from your research, like, have you started to see any like uh, like started started to categorize like what the benefits or negative um, sort of aspects of future sex technologies are? Um, well, you know, we haven't really um, parsed it out in that way yet, um, but there's lots of research that's needed because that has been the underlying discourse, right? Uh, it's always this ethical, you know, is it good? Is it bad for society? And it's like people have been playing ping pong um, with these notions, especially over sex robots, I'm thinking in particular, um, thinking that, you know, if people engage with these machines, maybe it will instigate or um, exacerbate some sort of you know, underlying pathological, like sexual issues. Um, And then you'll have something on the other end that says, hey, actually, maybe this will be uh, a good sexual outlet for them. And that will discourage them from maybe um, doing some things that they wouldn't, that they uh, would do, you know, that Mm -hmm. are not necessarily uh, socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's this kind of discourse and we always say we just need to actually start collecting the data on this um, and see uh, if it actually does have that negative impact uh, in, in in these kinds of situations. Mm. So there's not a whole lot out there yet. Yeah, so, it reminds me of the conversation that we had with uh, James, Dr. James Cantor about um, the different types of pedophilia and what's the other philia that's young children, uh, like preteen? I can't, I can't remember. Um, but the they were talking about like, like, you know, could a blow up doll sort of reduce the amount of instances of pedophilia exactly. that, that exist. But like, can we socially accept that that would like be producing such a product? Yeah. Ooh. Like it's, yeah, it's a, a difficult question. So to, to kind of like bring things, we, we sort of like went on a little bit of a tangent there and, and Sorry, really for us. <laughs> but, but to, to kind of bring us back to how you ended up getting into researching about sex and space. I know that, you know, you were, you, you, so you're, you're doing this focus on sex, on and, sex, and, robots, sex yeah. and sex robots <laughs> and sex technology. And of course this is like leading to, um, leading to how sexual, how sex technology can a- address people's needs in very, uh, very specific, various, uh, you know, contexts and, and situations, which led you to doing a study. If I'm correct me if I'm wrong with WeVibe about, sex tech and and space is that correct right so what ended up happening was after we um you know collect this data on the reasons why people would engage um with sex robots and you know they could spice up their sex life or they could um you know explore all kinds of sexual fantasies um with with or without their partners uh and we noticed there was a subset of individuals who expressed that they are alone or they live in isolated environments and they believe that a sex robot could provide something for them in terms of yes, uh, sexual pleasure, but maybe also companionship. Mm. And, you know, because we are interested in, you know, the wide array of implications and potential applications of sexual technology, uh, and, you know, this Ross to say, yeah, like what about these situations where you have people who are enclosed 
isolated uh, environments for prolonged periods of time, like say astronauts, sure. could sex tech and your robots, such as sex robots, erotic chatbots, or virtual partners provide companionship and sexual pleasure and gratification for them. Mm. Um, so Simon and our friend and colleague, Dr. Dave Antil, published an article in the conversation back in February, 2020, that pitched this idea on uh, the title of the article is Sex in Space, Could Technology Meet Astronauts' Intimate Needs? And I would say that this article is what led our research team to be put on the map as these experts in this niche topic of sexuality and sex tech in space. Uh, and the article attracted a lot of readers. I think it was something like 200,000 or so hits. And some of those hits were from the folks that we vibe. Mm. And so they had, and they're Canada's largest or one of Canada's largest producers of adult toys. So they mm -hmm. approached our team saying they found the conversation article very interesting. Uh, and they asked us if we could expand on it and produce a report on the use of sex tech in space context. Um, and so, and they were invested obviously because they want to design and adapt sex toys to space settings, which is yeah. pretty neat. And I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, we vibe for people who don't know, we vibe, you know, they're one of the, one of the original, uh, sex toy companies that, that sort of implemented, sex toys for remote couples. So, you know, you could get on Bluetooth on your phone and you can control your partner's vibrator with your phone in your hand, you know, controlling the the intensity of the vibration, you know, where they're feeling the vibration. You can set it to music, like a whole bunch of really, really wild and fun shit. Um, so like we vibe and, and sex tech, like they go hand in hand. Like, it, it are, seems they like, like, are they the Apple of I, sex toys? I mean, kind of. Yeah. Like they, they, they are, they're, they're sort of, they're quite, they're quite renowned for their like sex technology based toys, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah, they are. And we were really excited to dive into this topic and elaborate on those important points about sex and sex tech in space. And we wrote a three part report for Revibes where we discussed the relevance of sexual wellness and intimacy, pro intimacy products um, for space agencies. Uh, and the first part of this report is released to the public. The other two parts, I imagine, will be released in like the next year or so, and you'll hear about it. It'll be widely publicized. But while we were writing this report for WeVibe, we were struggling to find research on human sexuality and sexual technology in mm -hmm. space contexts. Uh, we're scratching our heads. We're getting super frustrated uh, that there was so little research on it. And it hit us. Houston, we have a problem and we need to write about it. <laughs> like, look at the situation we have here. We're entering a new age of space exploration. We're seeing a concerted effort um, to, you know, go and become a, a space sparing civilization. Mm -hmm. And you have these national agencies and private companies, they have the missions to the moon and Mars and beyond, and they want to conduct more research, and they want to bolster space tourism, mm -hmm. and they want to settle our solar system. Mm -hmm. And when you're taking this all in, it's like this crescendo of immense space related ambitions mm -hmm. and there's this momentum for space to become more accessible to a wider range of people mm -hmm. so it's not just astronauts anymore uh, who can be space travelers people are traveling to space for leisure and people will live outside of earth's atmosphere for varying periods of time mm, that sounds so <laughs> fucking crazy to hear but it's you so that, true but it's yeah, so yeah. true you I know like true. i know i know we, I there was hear... something the other day that said that there was a uh, two i mean these will get pushed i'm sure but there was there's two space hotels that are you know absolutely that, yeah, right, exactly right and you know it's in the news so frequently and i when i mentioned we're trying to settle the moon mars and space tourism people checking into space hotels despite all that coverage Folks are absolutely bewildered when I tell them this. They think I'm out of my mind. They're yeah. like, are you just reciting a plot of a sci-fi film? I'm like, no, I know <laughs> yeah, it seems fantastical, but that's what's up and coming. And mm. just to give an idea of um, what we're dealing with in the timeline, you know, the public can already reserve tickets 
for space trips through Virgin Galactic. If you can just scrape t- together your pocket change, just you know, four hundred fifty thousand oh, yeah, dollars, yeah. you can be taking a trip uh, into space later this year. But yeah, there's companies like um, Orbital Assembly and Voyager Station that have plans to open up space hotels in about you know five years yeah. or so. That's yeah. what they're saying. Well, yeah, the, 2025 and 2027 is the, is the, yeah. the I mean, interesting thing here, right? Is that so again, we're 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 at a time where this is becoming more and more commonplace in the media. This this mm-hmm. discussion about even discussions about like potentially colonizing another planet or colonizing, you know, um a sat you know, the the moon. Um and the the ISS has been has been uh, you know, that like the the most well-known, largest science lab that's been uh, floating, uh, orbiting around the planet since 1998 has been up there. And, you know, the amount of work that has been done on that on that science lab is robust. Every, every, five, every five minutes of every single day. Every fucking day for, since, 20, for, for 23 which, years or whatever it's been. Which makes me... And, and so what's really interesting here is that, you know, if you look, if you want to look up human metabolism in space you want to look up the you know how genetics mm-hmm. are affected by 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 like gravity how the how the bones how the body is, is, is pissing out bones as soon as they get up there because of because of zero g you know you want to find out anything about the human body and space the iss have fucking done it except but, mm-hmm. but when it comes to sex and sexuality they are fucking hush hush. And, yeah, and I that, know this. I know yeah. this because I've spent a significant amount of time with Chris Hadfield. And one of the things I asked him, I said, has anyone had sex in space? And that guy didn't want to talk about that at all. But that's what I was going to say. And, it's like, aren't there, aren't there days like, like, like their timeline for the day is like it's regimented down to, like the, to the, like to the second, yeah. to the second. Right. And, and if and you so had, wouldn't they know, wouldn't they, I feel like that would be an essential part of, and if you and if you and, and if you had to say if you had to say like what are the three most important functions of a human fucking being? eating and sleeping yes yeah. they eat up there for sure I've tried the food it's awesome uh, they sleep in really cool sleeping bags but do they fuck and and so now I've asked an astronaut and he wouldn't fucking talk to me about it I've asked people at NASA and CSA. They wouldn't talk to me about it. Now you're, I, I'm just some hobo that was behind a, uh, in front of a video camera being a host for a television show. Maria, you're a researcher. You're a smart person. You've probably known the places to go and the people to ask. Have, let's get it out of the way. Have you talked to anyone who has said that we've had sex in space? No, I haven't. God no one will admit God that. Damn it. <laughs> I am so sorry. I, you know, I wish I could be the one to do that. It would be, it would be in the news. It would do, be. And they really, uh, do you really, think they really you, are, they really are, they really don't want to go there, right? But, but no, do they you th- really don't. And you know, it's, 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 I find it, it's, it's a bit absurd. You know, they're, they're, they're pushing that we can live, work uh, and thrive in space. Uh, and, you know, we see that reality has been catching up with science fiction, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and what's also our reality is that certain very important questions about how we can make space life compatible with human needs and human needs includes our intimate and sexual needs. Some of those questions have been persistently and deliberately avoided by space organizations like NASA. And I think you know, I know this because we're not the first people to talk about it uh, and to question. Uh, it's, you know, people have been talking about the potential to explore human sexuality and space for decades now. Uh, and, and NASA has historically shut down that discourse. They have gone on record saying they don't want to study human sexuality in space. They don't even want to talk about it. And so that's why our team has been writing these articles. We wrote articles for the conversation. Um, and, you know, our most recent work is that position piece on topic, which is titled The Case for Space Sexology. And that was published in the Journal of Sex Research in December 2021. 
How funny, uh, and, and, yeah. How funny yeah, would it be if every single person who worked for and at NASA were virgins? And this is why <laughs> we find wait, ourselves wait, here. Wait, what do you think? That's what they're hiding. Is that every <laughs> astronaut is a virgin? How could they work that intensely? <laughs> <laughs> Maria, I really, I really want to know though. Like from your perspective, what do you think? Like if you had to just guess, do All you right, think? If I, if I have to like lay it out. Um, you know, I can, you know, I know people, people are very eager to know if anyone's joined the 62 mile high club and I can't say I blame people for being so curious and believing that it has happened after all the average space mission length for an astronaut is about six months and you have situations yeah, where astronauts and cosmonauts have spent about a year or or even longer. It's a long time. Um, And I believe the longest stay was 14 months, uh, which was a record held by uh, former cosmonaut Valerie Polikov. And another thing that leads people to believe sex has happened in space, there was a married astronaut couple um, that actually flew into space together. I think it was back in 1992. So astronauts Mark... Mark Lee and Jen Davis secretly got married shortly before they went into space together. Oh, so, that seals the deal. On. So and their she, honeymoon now, was out of this world. And she, <laughs> gave, she gave birth to a little green baby with really big black eyes, what, which is also kind of interesting. What I don't it, understand I don't know. is is when whenever you well, I mean, when we talk to Chris Hadfield, this is obviously apparent. And anything that I've anything that I've ever kind of that's come up about the preparation for going to space is the intense mental fortitude that you have to yeah. have yeah. in order to go to space and to know fat and, and to know fat. And, 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 and so it's, it's so surprising to me that it's not that sexuality, just this core human aspect and function yeah. that everybody has in some form is not of supreme interest to researchers at yeah. NASA or the European Space Agency or the Russian Space Agency or whatever. Especially because, considering co- because, like the because, words of colonization coming out right now. It's I mean, like, especially how colonization. How are you going to colonize without fucking? But even, but even before that, <laughs> if you just think about going to space and the mental stress that's being put on these right, people, yeah, yeah. of course... They're going to have to master their sexuality and, and, and jerking off, whatever is going to be central to their mental fortitude while they're there. Yeah. Six months. Jeremy, I think you, you crack something there. I never considered that the NASA administration are also virgins. Yes. I'm fucking, I'm fucking on something. I mean, not think of that to to that, to that point though. Um, you know, so, so obviously, obviously NASA has been very hush hush about it and, and obviously they're, 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 we can't say for sure anyone's actually had sex in space. Okay, fine. But has there been in terms of the research done and whether that be outside of NASA and anywhere else, has there, has there been, um, to your knowledge, has there been any research done in any aspect of human sexuality Period. Like even even down to like what happens to uh, what happens to ovaries or sperm in zero G or like anything like that. Um, Like outside of just like actual sex, just human sexuality in general. Has there been anything to that? Yeah. uh, Well, you know, I'm just going to say this, you know, human spaceflight has been happening now for 60 years or so. uh, And it feels like there's about Well, I'm going to say there's little to no research on the human experiences of sexual functioning and intimate relationships in analog and space contexts, and how such phenomena can impact astronauts' mental and physical health, the crew's performance, their mission uh, success. Um, So despite there being work to make space life human compatible and bioastronautics, um, astronautical, astronautical hygiene and space medicine, there has not been comprehensive efforts to address the sexological realities of human life in space. In terms of, you know, human experience of sexual response, I found one study um, done by Strollo and colleagues that was back in 1998, and they had found that male astronauts experienced decreases in 
sexual drive. So the desire to engage in sexual oh. activities from pre to post spaceflight. I had to really dig to find this one. <laughs> they were just like, hide it. <laughs> so, you know, keep in mind that um, spaceflight is a physiological stress and that stress can impact um, hormones associated with sexual desire and arousal. Uh, one of those hormones is testosterone. Um, so the researchers also found that the testosterone levels decrease from pre to post spaceflight. And much of what we know about the effects of space conditions on hormone levels is based um, on studies on male astronaut samples and are quite small, right? The samples and the findings are mixed. Um, so since then, studies have found no evidence of decreased testosterone levels um, during long duration spaceflight. And unfortunately, I have not been able to uncover any other data uh, on participants' self-reported uh, sex drive. So we don't know a whole lot about the effects of um, microgravity on astronauts' uh, sex drives and you know, um, you know, sexual response. Uh, so many studies are still needed in that area and we need to explore right. all these aspects mm. of human sexual response for space travelers of all sexes and genders. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. I'm curious what some of the uh, challenges are in studying um, sex in space. And I like one of the things that I think of is, is that if you're sending up a crew of specific people and there's no people in that crew that are intimate with one another, like trying to maybe I imagine the logistical challenges of like asking, like, is anybody willing to, you know, engage in, uh, uh, in sex to, for the purpose of research and study? Like, is that one of the challenges or is that just like a really, an oversimplification of what might well, I mean, uh, that's the thing is like you could be studying these kinds of ideas and uh, and they don't necessarily have to be on astronauts, right? You could be sending people into space that aren't astronauts and asking them these questions, or you could be having uh, studies in kind of space simulation environments so you can isolate people uh, in what seems like a space station, right? So they have mm. space station replicas. Uh, so you can kind of get at these different ideas even on earth um but they are very intensive it seems when you want to do a full simulation like that um uh, my colleague was in a, a space simulation i think it was about 110 day study wow. uh so that's it's a huge commitment um so you know uh, it th there there is something to navigate there but i think when it boils down to it, um, the biggest barrier is the sexual conservatism, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the big issue is that we have this sexually conservative culture where there's this pervasive discomfort and difficulty with accepting sexuality as something that is um, a normal and healthy part of life, even on earth. Yeah. And so people have historically downplayed the importance of sex research, um, thought lowly of it, or even felt threatened by it. And I think that some people may think that sex research is a frivolous pursuit. And, you know, some people even think that space research and exploration is a frivolous yeah. uh, pursuit. You should have seen some of the reviewer comments on our paper. I was like, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so those areas and combinations certainly make it challenging to potentially secure funding um, to run these types of projects. <clears throat> and scientific research typically relies on public funds, um, after all. So a big part um, of the reason why research is so limited in this area boils down to the dollars and cents. Yeah. Uh, so what the government uh, funding agencies deem as worthy and appropriate to spend taxpayers mm. money on. 
Um, but this culture of sexual conservatism also permeates throughout space agencies and perhaps one feeds into the other. Perhaps it's not just you know, about securing the initial funding for these kinds of projects, but avoiding the controversies to avoid right. funding cuts. Right. Um, so for decades, you know, space agencies and companies, um, in particular NASA, have been avoidant and dismissive of the topic of studying mm. human sexuality in space, saying it's not a priority, deeming it irrelevant. And maybe this made sense with the past selection model of um, astronauts with you know, specific competency, competencies oriented towards short-term rather than long-term space mm. life. But things are changing and we have these long-duration space plans. And, you know, and even Especially so- Especially with I like privatized companies becoming involved exactly. now too, which is also so new, right? Like you have SpaceX- mm -hmm. It makes me think launching, that you know, humans up there and sending cargo to to the ISS, which has never happened, you know, up until they became a part of the the system. Yeah. Like it was always through NASA, or it was always through the Russians, or it, it makes me ESA or it CSA. makes me think that uh, that 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 Elon Musk is actually is actually far more short sighted than I than I thought because he's so gung ho. <laughs> yeah, you think that he's like, and he's got like eight kids. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, right. but. but I'm curious, like, do you, do you, I imagine that at this point you've, you've sort of developed some hypotheses, yes. hypotheses. Yeah. We have started to brainstorm different types of studies in this area, you know, and it can be as simple mm -hmm. as replicating that one study that they did in 1998 and yeah. just asking those questions again, asking questions about their sexual arousal and desire and for um, astronauts, like I said, of all uh, genders. Uh, and we're planning to eventually release these, this information um, to the scientific community and the public. Uh, so I'm going to leave a little bit of an air of mystery for now, but I will say that, um, you know, anything is better than nothing. And there are many safe and ethical ways to explore human intimacy and sexuality in analog and space contexts. Yeah, yeah. Some of these studies do not need to be expensive complicated or even all that time consuming for the participants like i just gave that example it's like just give them some questions like yeah, they don't yeah. need to say a directly <laughs> to their colleagues yeah. just yeah. like a little survey yeah we have a diversity of research methods that we already use in sex and relationship research we have interviews questionnaires yeah. daily diary studies uh you can use experimental apparatus but you know if you want to keep it simple maybe leave it out uh but eventually you know the idea would be to translate this knowledge and and, and these methods to space research and now it's just like a question like how do we take these ideas and convert them into action and concrete research plans and space organizations already have human research programs dedicated to identifying and understanding and mitigating the risks associated with human life and work in space. But of course, they're incomplete without space, yeah, space sexology. Yeah, yeah. So we propose that an international advisory committee um, is formed to determine how we can integrate sex research into these pre-existing programs. And of course, you would need to receive input from, yeah, like the STEM and human factor researchers who are already involved in space programs. Beyond that, you get um, you will solicit input from a wider range of sources like sexologists relationship experts, gynecologists, mm. reproductive endocrinologists, and fertility uh, specialists. And also very importantly, you need to get make some effort to get input from people of various demographics. Uh, so different ages, gender, ethnicities, capabilities, sexual orientations, configuration. So the future of our space-bearing civilization is diverse, mm. equitable, and inclusive. Yeah, I one of the things that like when you're saying all this um that I can't help but think about are like the 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 sort of um like the technical ins and outs about uh, of of like of of actually the the act of engaging in sex in space. So so you know what one of the things that I know about um uh in like on the ISS is that it is it, it is imperative for astronauts to work out every single day for like two to four hours a day because their body it's about two hours yeah <laughs> two hours yeah two hours a day because they're like their body just starts to do atrophy and deteriorate right. like there, there's no gravity so your bones you can are lose bone and bone density is dropping muscle yeah. exactly right and so for them to do that they have to use um they have to use I think it's called like the red it's like a it's like a it's a it's a workout machine that 
It's like a bow flex. That as, I mean, kind sort of, not really, but like so, it's not that different. It's like a, it's a, a little like workout machine, but it can't be fixed to the actual wall of the ISS. It can't be like it can't be um, anchored in anywhere because the movements that you do on the machine, if it was fixated to the actual ISS, will fuck up the orbit and send it off like <laughs> Whoa, you know, really? and, yeah, and, and destroy I mean, it. Guess, so, yeah. so the whole thing has to be, <laughs> that's crazy. has to be floating in space and, and there's no, like the resist, there has to be resistance, but it can't be resistance based on the thing that it's, that you're in fixated on. And so when I think about like fucking in space, you think of like the bed frame getting rocked. Yeah, and yeah, then exactly. Like having, like, having like a really good romp in the bed. I mean, you can't really like, you probably can't do yeah you can't yeah. do that like so so and and this is this might be like a bit of a silly kind of dumb way of looking at it but like what are the kinds of risks associated with sexuality in space that like maybe I wouldn't be thinking about because if I didn't mm. know about this machine that they had to work on I would never really think I'd never know that no, like oh I you can't actually think about you know that. lift weights in space because you'll push the ISS off orbit so, like, what kinds of risks are associated with sex in space that, like, maybe we wouldn't be thinking about? Uh, yeah, well, you know, whether sex has happened or not, we know that sex would obviously be more challenging in space than it is on Earth. Totally. Um, you know, and beyond the challenges, so there's some, you know, there's simply that lack of privacy, of course, in these space stations. Uh, but you also have to deal with the lack of gravity and the impact it has on your bodily movements and fluids. So we'll talk, we'll tackle body movements first. Sure. So if you were to engage in partnered sex in space, you need to exert some special efforts and creative solutions to counteract Newton's third law of motion, right? So that is, but simply for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So when you push against something, it pushes back against you. And there's great videos illustrating this in, in space. So you can definitely find something on YouTube. And I'm thinking of one right now. Uh, so there is a video demonstration where an astronaut pushes another astronaut in a spacecraft and they're subsequently both sent flying back in opposite directions. Mm. So if we could extend this example to a sexual scenario in space, someone thrusts on their partner and they there will be this pushback where they're basically being propelled in opposite directions. <laughs> it, it's a little comical to think about. So being yeah. physically close to your partner um, is a challenge. Uh, you, you can imagine Kama Sutra is going to be a little more complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a bungee belt. Yeah, you need like yeah, yeah like, a, like a like a fuck harness. You yeah, know, like well, yeah. Actually, belt. Uh, this, there's a solution. You're you're onto something. So. Um, if you, uh, there was uh, Vanna Vanda, so she came up with this very um, creative and innovative solution. Uh, so, uh, and Vanna Vanta, for those who don't know, is an Italian American writer, actress, and inventor. Uh, so she recognized the gravity of the situation and yes. wanted to provide a solution. Yes. And she did so by inventing the two suit yes. to facilitate sex and weightless environments. So the suit wearers, can fasten themselves to a surface and they're essentially, they could be anchored. Uh, and the suit harnesses that um, can be adjusted so you can control the distance between suit wearers. So she designed it. So there's this flap in the front of the suit. So if another person's wearing a two suit, you can kind of dock one on the other and uh -huh. attach uh, them to each other with Velcro strip. And you have the, so you have this use of harnesses Wow. and Velcro to uh, circumvent the issue of floating away from your partner hmm. and facilitate sex in space. God, humans um, are cool. <laughs> Just coming up with all sorts of shit. That's what about, what about, like, and, so, what and, about and, solo pleasure and solo sex? Like, and, is know, there... There's body fluids, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we know in general how um, fluids behave in space environments. Yeah. Uh, so once again, you can check out internet videos. Uh, they're, they're amazing demonstrations. Yeah. There's a great YouTube. one of Chris <laughs> opening a Coke, I think, on, on yeah, the ISS. Yeah, exactly. And he has another one, actually. This is perfect. So where he wrings out yes. the uh, wet washcloth. Right. Uh, and so when he wrings it out, what happens is the water kind of blobs together around mm. the washcloth. It stays on his hand. His hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And to the point where it kind of looks like jelly on his yeah. hand. Yeah, uh, but it's just yeah. regular water. Um, so what you see is that the liquids 
um, collect at their exit point or point of origin, and they'll tend to float and blob around where they're Ooh. secreted. That's what I was thinking, like a semen helmet on the end of your yeah, dick. right. Yeah. You, were kind of, you were kind of right about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you know, sexual activities obviously lead to the excrement of fluids, like ejaculation, and you need to think about ways to deal with that because it's going to get messy yeah. uh, and <laughs> you don't want that to be perpetually floating around you yeah, know you're getting the, you're getting the, the, instruments. The, the instruments and then houston really really actually for real has a fucking problem it, yeah it, it yeah. feels like it could be messy but it also feels in a way like it could be cleaner in the sense that like everything it's would more contained in yeah, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, in a bit. Yeah, I would this love to so see cool. how it actually works. Uh, <laughs> trust me. Uh, but you, you know, you need to devise of ways to dispose of those fluids through yeah. some sort of vacuum or suction tube device. That technology already kind of it, it exists that's how, on, that's on how they there. Piss. But for, that's how they, yeah, yeah, they piss and shit with like exactly. Yeah. They yeah. they have that technology, yeah. but um, adult toy companies uh, have been looking into designing masturbation aids for um, space settings. Um, uh, so designing to come equipped with, you know, that fluid suction apparatus or vacuum. Cool. You have to think that yeah. if like they're peeing into a vacuum, just having your penis around a little vacuum <laughs> would just I be bet, like. I mean, I don't want, you know, I don't want to say yes or no, but I bet you Chris probably knew that vacuum quite well. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> See, that's one of my regrets. Like, I, 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 I confirm nor deny that. Yeah. <laughs> <Allegedly>. <laughs> I'm going to get an email from Chris's son being like, what the fuck are you doing? I jokingly dude? asked Chris about um, faking the moon landing, which um, wasn't. He didn't take was, it so well. Which is not great, but I wish that I would have asked him about sex in space. He was pretty I, jovial about most things, except was. for that. Yeah, yeah he was not one. cool with that. He did, he did admit that, um, well, he sort of like coyly admitted that there was some alcohol consumption on the, oh, on the ISS. Naughty. Yeah, but he, didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't fully, he didn't fully come out and say it. Um, you, know, you know what astronauts do talk about, though? They ooh. have talked about their erections. Oh, uh, so okay. yeah, they have talked about that. Um, at least, at least one has. Um, and that's also on the, the topic of fluid, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. So another very important consideration is blood flow, um, which is a key part of your experience of sexual arousal. You yeah. know, to get an erection, your arteries need to expand to increase blood flow to the penis. Uh, if you're looking at the female reproductive system, then yeah, you need increased blood flow to the vagina, clitoris, and labia for sexual arousal. Um, and microgravity has a very interesting effect on the cardiovascular system. So when we're on Earth, Gravity is pulling blood to um, parts of our body that are below the heart. And in space, you have a different situation. So you don't have the gravity pulling blood um, into those lower parts. It's going instead, it's rising to the chest and the head. Mm. So in theory, there would be issues with blood flow to your genitals. Um, and consequently, there could be issues with experiences of sexual arousal. Mm. But anecdotally, you know, I heard the opposite can occur, okay? Which is very interesting. So there could be this fluid shift that could actually result in a Viagra effect. So you could have oh, erections, wow. perhaps more intense than those experienced on earth, um, you know? And I think it was, it was Mike, Malayne, um, who said in, in an interview with Men's Health, uh, so there's probably a quote somewhere, I think it was yeah, something along the lines of that he would wake up from sleep with an erection that could have drilled through kryptonite. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So um, I take no credit for that. That's a, uh, that's a, that would be a really good selling feature for um, colonizing Mars, like being on, yeah. being one, like, you want to be, yeah. yeah. Do you want to <laughs> rock and colonize Mars? Yeah. You will also, as a byproduct, be rock hard. I mean, yeah, and, yeah. And, and could it also be a problem because of blood flow that if you get an erection, that it would be very hard challenging to, to get to make it go away? Yeah, maybe. Like, it's possible. Maybe yeah. Really strong we, waistbands. Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very strong waistbands. They're making <laughs> ultra strong elastics around the waistband. Yeah. What? Um. Uh. You. I mean. You kind of. You kind of alluded to this earlier. But like, what kinds of reactions have you have you received about the work that you're doing? You know. And 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 also like, have you? I mean, now that you're broaching this subject, and now that you're kind of making noise about this subject. And, and, you know, getting people involved in this, what has NASA's reaction been, if, if, if any? Yeah, uh, very good question. So some folks uh, like to, to laugh and make a mockery of it. And mm. I think it's normal to chuckle to some extent. 
uh, when discussing sexual topics, I think it's a healthy way to break some tension. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also think there's a way to have humor while still respecting that sex research is important and well needed health research. And mm. in 2022, I have felt I I think I've felt a shift in attitude and receptiveness of people and organizations to these topics. Like overall, our work has gained incredible traction and it feels like this all-consuming force. Um, and I think people are naturally quite curious and intrigued about what we're talking about. And yeah. you know, maybe some people dismiss it at first, um, but once they hear more and they read more about it, uh, they, they realize, oh, this makes sense. And I think they're onto something. So I feel like we have a groundswell of support and interest and uh, at least like among the public. Uh, and we, we all know that this is just the beginning. We're going to keep talking about this, disseminating our knowledge to the public and to other researchers. And we're going to maintain some optimism that we're going to get through to these space organizations sooner rather than later. Um, and, you know, thanks to the hardworking efforts of journalists who have been prodding uh, NASA for comments on the case for space sexology. Our article is on their radar. Have mm. they read it yet? I don't know. <laughs> Last I checked, they didn't. They said we didn't read it. So we're not going to comment on it. Um, but it was uh, journalist uh, Mark Hay from Mike.com who wrote an article on our work titled uh, Inside the Push to Study Sex in Space. Uh, so he managed to get a response from NASA where they stated that they're not seeking proposals or considering a dedicated field on the topic. Mm. Uh, of course, the stance ignores the reality that human sexuality and intimacy in space are health and safety concerns that deserve to be prioritized. So it's a bit discouraging. But at the same time, the NASA rep also said, should a future need for more in-depth study on reproductive health in space be identified, NASA would take appropriate steps. And you know what? Mm. We believe we believe there's a present need, but the right. future need is far more glaring. And so it's only a matter of time. And as yeah. we approach these launch dates for major long duration space projects, it's going to be harder for them to ignore that need. Mm. Mm. I mean, and, this and is one of those conversations <laughs> where like immediately like within the first five minutes of hearing you talk, I, like it's like obvious that it's not only not only is there a need for it, but it it's incredibly incredibly important. Yeah, to do especially not just now but for the future. Yeah, and yeah. from uh, kind of thinking about especially the the future of 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 our experience with space and space travel and potential colonizations of different places and things. As somebody who has had a kid through IVF. And the Ooh. complications of that. So it's like, unless you're going to, unless that's going to be the main method of creating more humans outside of planet Earth, which I'm sure there's a whole, it's even way more complicated than just sex, that it just seems like it seems crazy to me mm. to not want to know everything that there is to know about how to make another human life outside of this atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It'd be really challenging if you had to leave Mars and go on a two year journey every time you wanted to up have new... sex and like have a new kid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Go back. Or even just yeah. a bang. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be annoying. <laughs> probably wouldn't be worth it. Really. <laughs> yeah. You'd probably, probably just try fucking up there, you know, and see what happens. There's no research, but whatever, maybe we'll just be the first one. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. <laughs> um, so our, you know like our you know that's it our team believes that in pursuit of a space-faring civilization and becoming a multi-planetary species we need to learn how to survive and thrive in those environments we Absolutely. need to be able to engage in activities that can normalize the experience of the space life and you know intimate relationships and sexuality are essential aspects of yeah. human life and you know space contacts that favor this offer a more humane and meaningful extraterrestrial existence. Um, but it's so important to, um, you know, research these, if there's the risks and enhance the benefits of these types of activities, um, you know, let's just be realistic here. Like you were saying, you know, like going to Mars, <laughs> like, you know, how long does that take? Like a yeah. human mission to Mars, you're, you're aiming to land the first humans on Mars in the 2030s. And you're not even talking about the logistics of settling um, Mars, but 
we're millions of kilometers away mm. and you're doing a round trip expedition, assuming, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be nine months to get there, three to four months doing research in, uh, in and around Mars, nine months to get back. And so you're looking at about a two year long uh, mission and, you know, we're not going to even touch on reproduction. It's just like the idea of there not being any sexual activity of any sort on a mission like it's that. Absurd. It's absurd. It's so absurd. Yeah. And, you know, you can say these are highly skilled and rigorously trained astronauts to get to where they are was not an easy feat. Yeah, they were meticulously screened but... <laughs> and tested. And, and they are many levels well above average in terms of their ability to problem solve and cooperate, ability to yeah. adapt and endure extreme and high pressure situations. But sorry to burst the bubble here, astronauts are still human beings with psychological and physical uh, desires and needs. And yes, like you mentioned, they have long work days. It's very scheduled, but mm. they still have some time off in the evenings. They have weekends off. Um, you know, they need this. This is something R&R, &R, something that's been recognized for a while in the military mm. and uh, among astronaut personnel and, 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 and scientific personnel. Uh, you know, you're in high stress and potentially dangerous environments you working intensely and you need to relax you need to unwind you aren't a machine and even machines need maintenance um lube, but, you know they need lube that's they right need lube. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know they're allowed to call their friends and family and i'm thinking about the situation where you're you know an astronaut um and you've left your partner at home on earth and you're there for like six months plus uh and you know the uh, iss and i don't know what their relationship satisfaction is like and what, what, how their partners are coping. And like, you know, it would be good to have that information. Um, maybe we could also investigate whether it would be beneficial for their mental health and relationship satisfaction if we yeah. gave them technology that could facilitate those sexual experiences with themselves and their partners. Get a wee vibe um, up there. Be yeah, hard like, to, be give them teledildonics. Yeah. It'd yeah. Be, be really hard though to have like uh, good phone sex with like lag, like the latency. That's it. That's, and that's and the, Houston just yeah. being on the line. Well, it'd be, too, like, it'd be like trying to you know, watch porn in like 2001. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Gotta let it buffer. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta let it buffer. I mean, there's going to be advances and upgrades in high-speed satellite right. networks, right? Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of promise for something like teledildonics to facilitate yeah. um, sexual and intimate connections between people in space and people on mm. Earth, which is mm. pretty neat. Yeah, 10G is going to be crazy. I mean, I, I do like, you know, in talking about all this, I... I I do like to put my conspiracy theory hat on here and just I, I feel like oh, it's been it. I feel like it's been happening. They just mm -hmm. really don't want to admit. Of course you know, it's like, been like happening. It's, it, but I, but I don't mean it's been happening as in like they're just up there fucking. I mean I mean the fucking is happening and I mean the the oh, like and the, the studies and the, studying and, the re, and and the studies are happening. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Because if 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 it if they weren't that would be insane totally insane you know like i feel like it's I, i'm it's more believable to me that they're actually doing it and they're going we're not going to say we're fucking doing it because we don't want to lose funding or whatever mm -hmm. whatever whatever the stupid or it's either that right so it's either that it's either that they aren't at all because like just straight up virgins like don't even want to do it <laughs> right so there's, there's those those two options but then here's the here's the third option here's the third option and i think this one's probably more realistic than anyone i've put out so far which is that they're not doing it. They're letting the aliens do it because every mm. time someone gets abducted by an alien, they mm -hmm. go up and they come down and they go, I was, I had a probe up my ass. I had a whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, and the NASA has it's gone, very Hey, sexual. you guys take them up. You guys do the mm -hmm. work and then tell us what you think. Yeah. Because the alien know, abduction experience is very sexual. It is. There's a lot of sexuality <laughs> involved in it. I mean, it's, it's not, uh, it's not ideal. You know, it's a, no. it's, it's a, it's a very like traumatic and scary event, but yeah. Sexual maybe, nonetheless. Maybe that's what's happening. So, uh, and when I say maybe, I say, I, I, I really mean, I know exactly that that's what's happening. Guys, so I think maybe. the solution is that we just all tweet at Elon Musk right now and just say, hey, you, you made an oversight. You haven't considered this. You need this if you're going to colonize Mars. And he'll probably be like, 
Okay. I'm on it. You might. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on you it. You absolutely should do that. And I find that's actually a, a fun coincidence because my friends were literally saying exactly that this past week. They said, we need to just like tweet bomb Elon. Yeah. yeah. A coordinated um, attack. And Elon like actually, loves, Elon's all about Twitter. Let's he do that. If you're listening sure to is. this, <laughs> he owns it. If you're listening to this episode uh, yeah. right now and you want to help make a difference in the study of sexology in space, um, Tweet at Elon Musk right now. Yeah. Where's the where's the SpaceX, bro? Where's the sperm? Yeah. Yeah. Maria, um, I gotta say this. First of all, first of all, it, it's it's always such a pleasure to get someone on the podcast who is uh, so so like just ingrained in the research that they do, knows what they're talking about, and and also makes for a really fun and engaging conversation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us and talk to us about uh, something that I've been dying to talk about for fucking years. Um, this has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, how can people, how can people kind of stay up to date with the work that you're doing? And, 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 you know, um, I know you've got a couple of things that are coming down the pipeline of going out to the public soon. So like, how can people stay up to date? Uh, yeah, oh, and thank you once again for inviting me. It's been so much fun. Uh, so if people want to keep up with our work, you can actually follow me on my personal website. I have a newsletter. So you can go to www.mariasantaguida.com. Amazing. Sweet. This has been so fun. Maria, thank you so much. And uh, can't wait to see what, uh, what comes out from the, the research that you guys have been doing. Thank you so much. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, Tell someone that you don't know that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.